Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey guys, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. For today's show, we're going to share some uh, things that we collected from professional writers when we asked, uh, what are some unspoken things that you're supposed to know that you didn't know? And so I think it'll be a really fun episode. Um, I learned a lot (laughs) just uh, (laughs) by these uh, submissions, so I think it will be really fun. And uh, they've been submitted anonymously, so we're just going to read them out today, but they're all pro writers, and uh, it was super fun. Great. It was Lorian's idea. It's such a great idea. But first, we're going to talk about our weeks, or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? Uh, Good. Uh, It's still the beginning of the year. I am trying really hard to prioritize my mental and physical health, which has been a struggle because a couple years ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And I was prescribed Adderall. And, uh, but since October, there has been this national shortage of it and I can't get my hands on it. And at first when I stopped taking it, I was like, oh no, this is good. This is good. I feel good. Um, But lately I've been feeling not good. And it's really startling to me how much the Adderall helps with not just my ability to focus, but anxiety and depression as well. Um, and what's happening is without it, I'm starting to feel real physically logy. Like all I want to do is go to sleep. I'm having a hard time, like connecting into a project. Like, um, you know, this afternoon I have to work on this one thing. I'm really excited about it in my, uh, I know I'm excited about it, but I can't quite hook into that excitement. Uh, so it's, I feel very distant from things. So I have to figure out an alternative because I can't continue this way. And I think a lot of writers that I've talked to struggle with ADHD, either diagnosed or undiagnosed, and we're medicated in different ways and how connected it is to um, anxiety and depression is really overwhelming. And I've talked on the show before about my mental health struggles. Um, But this is a very strange experience for me. I've never quite experienced this before because it feels physical. Um, And so it's a bit of a struggle to work right now, but I am going to, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to talk to my doctor about alternatives. Uh, But uh, it's, it's really challenging, especially having been diagnosed so late and all of my coping mechanisms aren't necessarily uh, healthy, (laughs) you know, so that um, it's not like I learned how to manage ADHD as like a teen or a young adult. It's sort of, it's just, and it's really challenging. Like my husband was like, why don't you get on the phone and call all the pharmacies around us and see who has it? And I just looked at him and I was like, I can't. Like, I, I can't even imagine just starting that project because it feels so overwhelming. And so I'm feeling the same way about my, my writing. Um, but that being said, I have to do the writing. So it is, uh, I will be doing it. Um, but it's, so it's that struggle is uh, something that I'm battling with right now. 
So I'm sure some people find that relatable. And I'm sure some people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And if that is you, then I feel so happy for you. <laughs> like my sister recently shared with me that she does not have anxiety. And I was like, what is that like? Like you don't stay up at late at night and think about that thing you said in seventh grade. You don't. Wow. She's like, no, I don't. I'm like, oh, my CBD God, so gummies lucky. help with that a lot. I have to say <laughs> CBD, CBD gummies? gummies have changed my brain at night. It's starting yeah. to train it that we go to sleep and we don't do that running around. Oh. Uh, it's been really amazing. My CBD gummies. I I'm not diagnosed, but I, when you're talking, I'm like, oh, my God. And this is so much lighter than this is maybe, you know, the, you know, British, you know, prank, prank version of what you're talking about, which is. <laughs> I got to be in my body to clean up my closet. And now I have literally four garbage bags full of clothes, but like three of them are pretty good clothes that I should get money for. I should not just give to the goodwill because I feel like I spent money on these really nice clothes 20, 10 years ago. I should yep. really get <laughs> they're sitting there for weeks mm -hmm. because I cannot manage. Mine is a yep. little different. I can manage to get them in the car and drive over to the real sale shop. But, and this does relate to writing it. I cannot manage the rejection. I can't manage it <laughs> because it's, I've done this once before. And to have a 25 year old girl, see you coming. Oh, at my I've age, done that. Yes. They give you the up and down and then you ask and you put your bag down. They go, huh? Okay. Um, I guess like they're just so and not in the into physical way they pick up the clothes like it's no, and they pick them up like oh my like, god are these oh. from the turn of the century <laughs> like it's just it's so it's just a rejection pie in the face and yet I know my clothes are good so I'm gonna do an experiment and my son just agreed to do this my 19 year old son he's gonna take them in and say his sister just went to college and told him to bring these in and we're wow. gonna see if oh. they take the clothes, and I think they're going to take the clothes. Oh, I love by that the way, strategy. I have really good current taste, by the way. Anyway, oh, also, so Meg, I also, great strategy. My literally like, you don't have to do it now. That, well, exactly. That's the thing. So exactly. you, have, you have outsourced it in a really effective see. way. We will see if I actually get my act together and get him to do this before he leaves. And by the way, I think he might be totally knowing that I may not do it. So he said yes. But when I actually put the shit in the car and give him the keys, he's going to be like, wait, what? I have to really do this? <laughs> I have to lie to people. And I'm like, yes. Anyways, it is about rejection. And I feel like my writing has been so hard uh, because writing's hard, not because of any other reason uh, that I just, some part of my brain just cannot do it. So there's bags everywhere. And my husband's literally like, when are you gonna, there's bags in the car, there's bags in my closet, there's bags in our, it's all over the place. So I totally get that in a real I have two full bags of terrible toilet paper in the trunk of my car because when the toilet paper shortage happened, I went bonkers and like ordered a bunch of, you know, like sustain, like thin, like half apply toilet paper in case of an emergency. <laughs> I have 50 rolls of it. It's been in my basement because while the rain, my basement flooded a little bit. Hooray. I have to deal with that at some point. So I was like, we'll put them in garbage bags and I'll put them in my car because I can't look at them anymore. And so now that I'm just driving around, I don't know what to do Oh with my them. God, I'm not alone. My car is just, my back of my car is just full of stuff I'm supposed to be doing. Like I've had a skirt in there that I need to take to the tailors for, I don't know, three years. I've had it in my car because I'm afraid that when I put the skirt on, I can't even fit into it anymore. So I don't want to face any of it. I feel like all of my willpower, just to go to my week, all of my willpower kind of goes to 
my writing. Like I stay in the seat, just stay in the seat, just face the internal rejection, just face that it doesn't work. Just keep going. Like it takes so much willpower. And then I have a special needs kid and then you have family. Right. And like now it's like, I don't have any leftover for the skirt in my car that doesn't fit anymore. Like I just don't have just it. Just take but I it right to the, the resale shop, right no. to the resale. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. Anyways. Anyways, uh, my week has been um, pretty much uh, lots of, you know, whenever you do writing, there's a lot of voices. Now, the voices can be outside coming in at you, be that executives, producers, directors, uh, executives, assistants, like everybody kind of chimes in. Um, I've been very lucky in that my my core team that I'm working with is really great and just uh we're we are having still having fun so i'm i am lucky in that way but it's that point in the writing process and i talked about this on the facebook group where you've decided perhaps with the team perhaps by yourself that this is the revision we're going to do this right and now it's rippling as you write sequences or you've re-outlined or recarded it doesn't matter because when you get into the scene now you really start to know it and get your hands on it and it's when the tracks just don't line up and every you know everybody's talked about it and you've assumed it'll line up <laughs> And then it doesn't. And sacrifices have to be made. You know what I mean? Like, because just shoving one more thing in is not going to work. It never works. Stop. Stop. If you're like, this scene now has three big ideas in it, and they're all equally weighted, you have to stop, in my opinion. Not if you're doing a puke draft, but if you're doing a true revision now where you've recarded it and you're starting to move through it, because... You've got, you, you, I'm not saying you can't have three ideas in a scene. You should probably have five. But like, what's the predominant narrative thing you're driving towards? And how are those other ones supporting it? Or what's the context up front so that the audience can even track and remember those ideas and things? So um, it's just, it's just a, a question of constantly redoing it until you find an answer. Um, and then there's always the Curtis test, which is my friend Curtis, who's a writer who I hooked up on the show one day, um, who always used to go, is, is it better or just different? <laughs> Which yeah. also is like ringing in my brain. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't really know. You, I lined up tracks and I didn't know until I handed it back to somebody. In this case, I have a director, but you could be handing it to a friend who's been on the trail with you. And sometimes they're like, no, it does work. Like, because your brain can get kind of spun out and overthinking and just get into the rut of nothing works, nothing works, nothing works. But in fact, it is working and you just need to take a breath <laughs> and right. uh and you know and tomorrow won't work again because that is the the process but um I just think um you know and I I just also want to say that sometimes giving it to people you have to make sure who you give it to and um you know somebody had asked in the Facebook group about giving um an outline should I give it to my friends first or my agent first or my producers first and you know that's so very specific to each project I would say you have to know if the person that you're giving it to especially if you're in this kind of situation where you're like I don't even know like I've done it so many times or it's such a fragile juggling act that we're doing. I, I'm not sure if you're, if that, especially if you're in that state as a writer, you have to be very careful who you're giving it to. Um, I've worked with directors who, who absolutely can give it to them in that state. They are highly trustworthy. They like being in that state. They appreciate that state. They're willing to walk out into the weeds with you. And I've worked with directors who absolutely do not want to do that and get completely freaked out. Um, even I even had one who literally said, I, come on, I want to go into the weeds with you. So I took him out into the weeds. <laughs> and he literally said, well, I'm not going to write it for you. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, you don't want to go into the weeds. You, you just don't want to go into the weeds, which is fine. By the way, everybody's different. You just have to know who you're working with and who to entrust with this 
delicate part of your process because it is a very um, vulnerable place to be, to be in such not knowing, even as you're manifesting and producing and putting things together and building this fragile, beautiful thing um, that has to take this fragile, beautiful thing that has to take the knocks of tons of hammers coming at it. Um, so that I'm kind of still in that place, kind of crawling out of on the from the other side, I think, only to just go into the next foxhole, of course, because you get so many sequences or scenes done and then you move into the next. But um, I, I definitely feel better than I felt this weekend when I was uh, stress texting Lorian, <laughs> uh, just in terms of uh, getting out of my own head. But uh... <laughs> um, I, I wanted to quickly say thank you, Meg, for I feel so seen that your car is full of shit. <laughs> so is mine. And um, I think for me, it's interesting. There's like the the fear of rejection element, which I think is is like valid. I think for me, it's like a fear of growing up. Like it's stuff that I've been hoarding and holding on to. And like I have... I can be like hoarder with stuff and I just feel like there's stuff in my car that I need to get rid of or want to get rid of. There's also sometimes the feeling as a writer of like any time you're not spending on like immediate career things like like getting rid of clothes or like donating things to Goodwill is like time you should be spending on that script or that idea. And sometimes I envy those people with nine to fives who like can like have told me like, you know, today I'm just going to kind of phone it in or like I'm going to do this during my hours. And like they've earned that and they kind of have the right to do that. But when you're kind of an entrepreneur or you're someone who's self-starting your own career, that feels like a betrayal of, I don't know, of like what you promised yourself for your own work. So um, that can be hard. Um, so I appreciate you sharing. Well, I'll give you, you know, when you get older, and you have like, by the time you have teenagers, you look around your house and you're like, oh man, my kids are going to have to clean out all this shit when I die. Like, that's not <laughs> fair. Like it just, it just switches. I'm like, yeah. why am I holding on to the dress that I love that I wore at my engagement party like in 25 years ago? It's just so stupid. And yet it's like you, it's like a piece of myself. It's a top yeah. person that I was. And yet I decided the dress does not deserve to be in the closet. It deserves to be worn and out in the world. So tune is. in next week to see if I actually did it. <laughs> I'll I give you it. $1 for it to store it in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> that might be flooding again today. <laughs> you can use I love it to it. sop up the water. Um, um, okay, let's get to our topic. Um, and Jeff, unless you wanted to say more. I was just going to quickly say, yeah, um, it's been kind of fun. My university does this program called um, Inside Hollywood, where like 20 kind of excited, doe-eyed students come out to Hollywood to like check out the town and meet people. And it's it's been great. It's been really fun to meet with students. Some of them might be listening to this. Um, and, it's, and they're going to love that you call them doe-eyed, by the way. I know. Is that, is that insulting? Um, yeah. I actually mean it. I mean it as a compliment. I, it's a reminder that like we're allowed to have optimism and joy in this business. I don't know. I, there's something really refreshing about seeing – this is, might sound dark, and I'm sorry if it does, but part of this podcast is being honest – there's something really wonderful about seeing people with just like tons of hope and excitement about the industry. Um, no, there course, is. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and like I have that too, but it can become mechanical or rote or you lose that sense of wonder that we're like, we're making movies, right? Like this is the dream. Like this is, we're in like a town where we all get to use our imagination and try to get paid for it. And like, that's beautiful. So I've been just kind a of great trying- reminder. It's a great it's reminder. It's a great reminder. So a, I've great, just, a great segue yeah. to introduce our new intern, Jason. Yes. Who is so excited to be living here in LA now. Right? I know. Jason's <laughs> smiling this whole recording. It's helping me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Savannah, you're always smiling. Everybody's always smiling. But yes. You know. Jason, um, say hello. Hi. Jason, we're thrilled <laughs> to have you. Um, 
<laughs> uh, before we dive into our topic, I did want to mention to everyone that we're doing a special Patreon, a mock writer's room with showrunner Sean Prasant, who was also on the show. Uh, it'll be really fun. I've done these with Sean before at Cinestory. I've been in the room with him. Uh, it's just a really great way to see how uh, the mechanics of a room work, uh, moment to moment, uh, outlines, ideas, uh, and it's a great practice. We're going to ask for some volunteers from our Patreon community to be the writers in the room. So I think that will be really fun. And uh, I always love being in a room with Sean because he's really funny and generous. And uh, it always makes you feel great after you're in the room with him. You know, yeah. I also think it's good to be talking about optimism and hope uh, before we get into our segment, because our segment is from pro writers who are I do believe it's this constant balancing act when you're a pro writer of um, to write, you have to have naivete and hope and blue sky and believe almost like a child that your story is so good and fun and that you love it so much and vulnerability. And it's just this big open hearted experience. And then the business side, it is good to have a touch of healthy uh, cynicism right? Um, because you are in a bit of a game. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, there are a few, you know, Machiavellian predators out there, but by and large, I do not believe that's most people. I think most people are just doing their job and getting caught up in politics or whatever's happening or bad habits or whatever. Um, you guys can all get on the Facebook page, page and disagree with me, by the way. But um, I do think it's like that constant yin and yang of being able to stay hopeful and open and optimistic and believe all those wonderful tropey things but on the other hand to have a little bit of um cynicism which i really think our comments are more about trying to open your eyes to that side of things right don't you think lorian they're more about definitely oh boy i wish i knew this um, the way they're and phrased is very much like a word to the wise instead of this is a terrible thing that happened to me yeah so I, I think they're all yeah. real legitimate things you should know i mean the first one is very practical um, which I think is, I'm going to read it now. If that's okay. We'll, yeah, we'll go. jump in. When the assistant offers you water before a meeting, drink it with your left hand so that when you shake hands with the executive as the meeting starts with your right hand, there isn't residual moisture on the palm from the bottle. Beware of fizzy water, or you might find yourself burping through an entire meeting. And take the water, drink the water, but be sure to use the bathroom before getting in the car and facing traffic. And then this person says, if you ask for ice, it can show confidence or something like that. I would not have that kind of confidence. I would just ask I would not water. have the kind of confidence. No, ice. can I have ice? No, I, I don't. I couldn't do that. But I, I agree with this comment. Take the water because it gives you an opportunity to make the assistant look good at their job. Because sometimes yes, and you, you might need into, it as you're talking, yes. you might need a sip of water because your my throat might get dry. Yeah. And I've I've literally done that thing of having to wipe my hand off because oh my god, yeah. hands off. I didn't. I never occurred to me to do this, and I'm like, oh my god, it's genius, like genius. <laughs> do you all like assess the production company based on the kind of water you get? No, no, no not okay. at all. It's all I don't either. It's all, no, the, it's all the same. What sometimes the same though they'll be like. What kind of water would you like? They have it in glass bottles and plastic bottles and this kind of water and this kind of water. And I'm like, um, tap is fine. <laughs> all right. The next but. one, um, the next comment is this isn't all glamorous. Most days it will be you writing alone in your laundry room or the back of your minivan or the public library, because these are the only spaces you can get away from your partner who has decided at age 46 that learning to play the electric guitar is his new purpose in life. <laughs> 
here's you why it's relatable because of the specificity. Yes. Right. Right. That yes. is an example. I love of having asking writers question is so fun because they they're yes. such great writers in response. Yeah. Um, uh, go ahead. I, next I, one. Yes. Yeah. So uh, even as a professional writer, you're probably going to be writing still all over the place. Yep. And you should get in the habit of being able to grab ten minutes wherever you are which is something I work with because, you know, I want all day. And then when I have to grab minutes in between meetings, it can be frustrating for me, but it's what you have to get used to. But I also um, hear, I also hear this writer saying, which I think enough writers don't do is get out of your house. Yes. Because if you're in your house, there's a plenty of millions of other things to do than you're writing. Whereas if you go to the library, you go to your coffee shop, you're here to write. So write and block Facebook. Intention, right? It's what we talked about on the resolutions episode. I intend to go right instead of I'm shutting the door, you know. Um, all right. So this next one is you often to get paid, write about a topic or in a show that you aren't quote passionate about. The cable TV movies like Hallmark and Lifetime can be a steady way to make a living, even if they aren't prestigious. So yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about how, you know, you have to be in it and emotionally and psychologically and story committed sometimes you do do just you do do just straight work for higher work and that is okay and you will find i mean in that for higher work you do have to find some kind of door mm -hmm. in you do have to find Absolutely. something that you relate to or could write otherwise you're going to write it badly and now you've actually hurt your career not helped your career so yes i i, I think like i always say yeah, passion, sure, inspiration, sure, but mostly it's going to be work and deadlines and sit down your ass down and figure it out. Um, but you do, you do need some kind of small door in, either just because you love a relationship or something about it, I think, to bring yourself to it in the writing process. But um so the I think other it's more about yeah. like don't expect to write an Oscar-winning film right away. Put in the work. Yeah. You know, absolutely. sometimes you have to pay the bills. I mean, Shonda Rhimes wrote what's Crossroads, which is a classic. That's right. Is that the one with Britney Spears? That's Britney and Gabrielle Union, right? Yeah. I mean, which is a fantastic movie, but yes. um, you know, you you do what you need to do. It is true that that movie was not even, I'm the perfect age for that movie, which is why I have a lot of nostalgic affection for it, but you know, Crossroads didn't come out and it wasn't critically celebrated, right? But now she's arguably the most powerful writer in in town. So, I sometimes say that Shonda wrote Crossroads before I jump into doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Animation isn't usually covered by the guild and you don't get residuals on them. So just That's FYI, not. and you're not going to get health care. I mean, you might get health care through the other union, but you have to uh, you have to acquire so many hours that you probably are not going to. There are rare cases that you can get WGA uh, for an animated movie. I don't know about series, um, but you're going to have to ask for it and your agency is going to be, have to be behind you to get it. Uh, I know the WGA is behind you to get it, but... Um, yeah, just if you're going to do animation, don't accept, expect residuals or healthcare. Um, you can, once you're um, moving up on the ladder of animation in your deal, get bonuses. Like in features, you can get a bonus for credit, um, which is kind of in essence taking place sometimes of those residuals. Um, in TV, okay. if the showrunner negotiates that the deal is WGA, then all the writers on it get WGA. But you can't expect to get a WGA deal if the show is covered from IOTSI at the very beginning. Yeah. Oh, the next one. Uh, when you sign with an agent, you don't actually sign anything. And same with a manager. 
Uh, I haven't signed any piece of paper with any of my reps. Um, I think, I don't know if this is true or not still, but um, when you're repped by an agent, if you want to find another agent, you can meet with other agents while you're still repped. Because I know agents go after clients sometimes who are repped. Well, it's tricky. It's tricky. I've never done that, but I would say you'd have to be very, very quiet about doing this. Because I know managers have a, have a code, right. Where you, you have to be without representation in order to enter even interview. Maybe it's for both of them. You just have to be very careful. Um, Yeah. It's hard to get representation once you don't have representation. So yes, it would be better to find that new agent while you have one, but Mm -hmm. um, just out again, and not just in terms of the game, but just out of respect to your agent. I mean, Mm -hmm. it would would be tricky. Um, Okay. Um, I think who's next. I don't remember. If you're on set, the crew always eats first. If you're above the line, wait until the crew has been fed to get in line for meals because they often have to get back to set before you do. Yeah, really it's good. Like- uh, and you know, uh, whenever I was on set, um, when I was a producer, I would walk around every night and thank each crew member that was still there for the day um, and do very many, a lot of different things as a producer. But um I would think as a writer, you want to also show that kind of respect uh, for for the crews and definitely an animation to you and for all the hard work that's being done. Just to clarify quickly, I don't know if we ever distinguished what above the line and below the line means for our listeners, but it's a union designation technically, but it has to do with the way line budgets are written. But correct me if I'm wrong, above the line would be actors, writers, producers, directors, not editors, which always really surprises me. But I think so. I don't know if editors are officially above or below the line in terms of a budget, because what that 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 delineation, I believe, really comes from when you're budgeting. Are you know your above the line costs and your below the line costs. But we're just mm. really talking about crew, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. Okay. Eighty uh, percent of your job will be stuff other than writing a script, meeting, pitching, researching. And I know this is always a bit of a shock. I think to writers when they they start getting their first jobs that so much of your life is uh getting the next job uh even as you're writing this one um a because it takes so dang long to get that job uh but yep uh yeah it's a it's a lot of uh meeting people pitching general meetings uh but it's not to say those aren't creative. They are. You have to be on your toes. You have to be ready to talk about the stories in your head and they take prep, but there is a lot, a lot of unpaid work, a lot of it. And that's just part of a gig. That's just part of the And when you're on a TV show, uh, you're working on that TV, TV show and it's hard to generate your own work while you're doing that. So, you know, every some amount of months, you want to have a new script, a new sample, a new show to pitch. And that can be really challenging if you're if you're on staff or you're running a show. So it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky balance to figure out the time to write and continue to be creative. (laughs) Um, The next one is have an interesting life can be important as having an interesting script. When you meet people, if they think you have a lot of experiences to draw from, from, they often see that as more material to draw from. I introduce myself by saying that I come from murder town. People are always intrigued (laughs) because I do. (laughs) 
Yeah, I absolutely think if you're just talking to people about movies and, and things you've seen, that's great. You have to talk about that. But if that's all you're talking about, other references to other writers or other movies, they want to know who you are. They want to know, you know, what you're interested in in life and what other things you do other than this. Um, I think it's super important um, to to have an interesting life as in your spare time. <laughs> Which is why it's good to get out of your house, too. Because you might see somebody, you know, out at lunch or witness something interesting. You know, you're out there engaging in the world, uh, which can be hard for introverted writers. I understand, um, but it's a good give balance. it a try. Yeah, give it a try. And by and you, you know, if you're an introverted writer, that doesn't mean you have to talk about the last party you went to. I generally am not somebody who, especially in the beginning of my career, love to go to parties. But you can talk about. I don't know. Do you have an interesting craft or something that you love to do? And it gets you out and meeting really interesting people or a charity or there's, you do have things. I promise that you do. Um, so this, the next one is this industry is not a straight line, but a roller coaster. Though the lows seem to get less low and the highs a bit higher, the longer you go. Really? I look forward to that part. <laughs> I'm glad for that writer. It's <laughs> yeah, true. Too. No, it's true. It's true. Perspective. Perspective. It's yes. perspective because even when you're in the lows, if you've done it enough, you know, it's just a low and that it will shift again. You do start to get some perspective on it. Um, I think my brain, because of it, the way it's shaped is always waiting for the shoe to drop. <laughs> so I don't know that I'm all, not always waiting for the next low, but that's just, that's just my brain, but it is not a straight line. There's the roller coaster ups and downs, but it's also you can't kind of chart a path like a ladder. Like it's not like becoming a doctor or a lawyer where you do this, 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 then you take your exam and now you're knighted that. Like that is not an artist and that's certainly not being a writer. Maybe in television. In television, there's more of a ladder, I think. Um, but really so much of this business is um, manifesting your own work, uh, both as specs and talking to people and reading IP and doing lots of your own work um, and nothing goes A to B. Uh, it's always just going by intuition and creative artistic instinct a lot of times. And you're going to hear a lot of, well, nobody will buy that. And sometimes you got to just ignore that. There, I'm speaking to myself right now. Um, okay. Uh, are you up or am I up? I'll go. The next one is um, it can take eight months to get paid, sometimes up to a year. So when... Meg and I sold a TV show. It was my very first time, uh, you know, I quote, sold a show. And then the deal had to be put together. And that took months. And I had no idea. And I was panicking every day. Because I thought when you sold a show, you sold a show, which means you get paid right away. That is not what happens. I sold a show in 2020. I don't think that in, in October, the deal didn't close until February. Um, we didn't get paid until we had the first meeting, which I think was in April. So it takes a long time from the quote, sell, or we're buying your show to the deal closing to actually getting the money. And then the money is usually stepped out. It's not like you sell a script for $500,000 and then you get a big check for $500,000. It's like 10% when you start, 30% at first draft, 40% next. Um, if it's a TV show, it's totally different structure. So this is why we and, say you, and you also lots have lots of shows. Lots and you of also have to budget work. your money because it, let's say you sell something for $100,000. 
10% is going to your agent. If you have a manager, there goes another 10%. If you have a lawyer, which you're going to have a lawyer, there it used to be the lawyers were in the agencies and you didn't have to pay a separate lawyer. No more. Now you have to pay a lawyer. There's 25% right off the top. Now take out taxes. So sometimes just for in terms of taxes and retirement and savings, I just assume my check is at 50% always. Because that's just <laughs> in terms of like living expenses, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you gotta, you, you have to be a, you, you, when you get that money, you really have to budget and think about uh, how you're going to spend it too. But it takes, I, in terms of how long it takes, and I, I, I've known business affairs people, I've known people in accounting, and I have great respect for what they do. And I think they are not praised enough for the amount of stress and pressure that they're under. I will also say they are constantly used as the excuse of why you don't have your money to the point that I want to start a fundraiser for overworked business affairs and accounting people at studios because that is always the excuse, right? Oh, it's as business affairs affairs is so overwhelmed. They're just so overwhelmed and they might be. So hire some more. That's my advice. Um, (laughs) Okay, next one. You can sign a three-year contract for TV staffing, but can be fired after 20 weeks. I'm not new to me. Yeah, that's That's that's, to me. Be aware. So when you get in there, have a really good attorney who really looks at your contracts and closes loopholes if they can. Like I don't know if if they can, but it sounds like this is a standard thing. So just know, know, just know, just know. Keep writing your spec. I'm like, yes. Um, (laughs) I'll do the next one. If casting tells you they can't find the ethnicity of the actor you specifically wrote the part for, you can totally ask them to please look again. Uh, This also goes for if you're staffing a show and you would like a diverse group of writers, you can sit and and they tell you the agencies aren't sending them. You can go back and say, please look again. Um, About five or six or seven years ago, I had an agent tell me quite honestly that that was a thing that would happen in the agencies is they would, they just weren't representing them. So they didn't have them. And then they would say there's none. I do think that's changing. I absolutely think that that's changing now. Um, if anything, they're um, actively looking to find uh, writers and and actors of people of color. But yeah, so you can ask. You can say, try again. Uh, the next one is assume that when you're on the phone with your rep, their assistant is listening. And another writer add, for a notes call, assume all the execs are there, even if they don't introduce themselves or say hi. So just assume that you're never on the call one-on-one. Uh, they call this rolling calls, right? The assistant is always there listening. On Zooms too, you might not know the assistant is on the Zoom, but they are, which is not bad. And you can have a totally honest conversation with your rep, but just be aware. But you're not speaking one-on-one. And, you know, <laughs> when I was an executive, when I was an assistant, sorry, at an agency, I had the head of ICM on a phone call with my agent talking about something super serious. And I hit the wrong button for the incoming call and spoke into the call. And he had literally said, I think, are we on alone? <laughs> that was a bad day. That was a bad day. Yes. I'm but uh, somebody's always listening. The The part of this that kind of sends shivers down my spine is that all the execs are listening, even if they're not been introduced. That kind of scares me a little bit. I never thought yeah. of that. Me neither. So thanks I mean, for I've that. never, I don't think yep. I've ever spoke, but of course I'll be up tonight at two wondering if I ever spoke badly about somebody who wasn't there. I don't think I've done that, but okay. Yiker Roonies. Okay. Um, it's really easy to live in the future while your life goes by. That's a good one. Yep. 
I mean, that's just yeah. not for writing. That's, that's like if you're always planning ahead and you can't live in the moment, you know, and that's how we've all been conditioned to live. Success, productivity, plans, goals, make it happen, make it happen. And sometimes you really just need to sit and not. I will say that my particular spin on how I do this is I have a lot of things I'm planning to do, but I have so many of them that I'm not actually moving anyone forward in any real significant way. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's part of your process to let things bubble and cook and see what pops. But I think I'm starting to use that as a way to not do anything. Because I think I'm so tired and in a good way of one job that the idea of getting this next job, I just am like, well, I could do that maybe. Or maybe, you know what, I'll read that book. You know what, or that would be a good idea. So I just, you know, sometimes you can do so much planning for the future that you're not actually doing anything. I also want to say. I think too, um, if I could just quickly say like, yeah. you need you need to celebrate your own victories because the industry won't celebrate them for you. Sometimes they will. I mean, like if you're at a certain point and you're getting award nominations, like that is a time when you'll be celebrated. But like, if you sell something, you're basically like sending an email. <laughs> like, if, if you don't take the time to celebrate your victories when you sign with someone or sell something or something happens, no one will do it for you. So um, you that's something you should just be really aware of because your career will pass you by and you will have done things, but not really taken account or stock of what you've done. The trick with it, of course, is you sell a show. The deal doesn't close for a couple of months. The show might not get made or the movie might not get made ever or like in three years. So it's sort of like, I sold a show. And then maybe nothing happens right you know and it, so it's a little it feels like you put the cart before the horse a little bit so it really is like when that thing is on the screen then i feel i can go i i help make that <laughs> you know it's it's a tricky I think maybe because i'm waiting for the though, right? boot to come out of the sky and kick me in the head because i've had deals fall through and i've sold yeah. shows that didn't make it to the screen you know so Cynicism. Here's the cynicism. Sorry. No, it's true. I, don't you think that personal celebration, though, of like one person bought it? Like, even if the show doesn't go or it doesn't show up on a screen, it's like, here's a check. Like, I are very, very small like check I got for the first pilot I optioned with a really small bootstrap production company. Like it might've been a dollar, like a dollar option. But like, we're like, let's frame this. You sold this thing for a dollar. Like someone... Maybe, yes, like I think you should valid, have a, you know? a refrigerator full of champagne that you will pop whenever you can because it will yeah. keep you going. That's what yeah. I want to say. All right, for the next one. For a TV staffing meeting, be prepared to answer the question, what should episode two be? Chuck Lorre asked me that question and I just started laughing at myself because I couldn't believe I hadn't anticipated or thought about it. There it's you good go. One. Good one. Yeah. Where would you take the characters in season two? I've heard is also a question. Uh, showrunners might ask so it's tricky right because part of your job on at staffing uh is to show that you can support and be for the showrunner what they need and basically kind of be funneling to them and giving them material and can write in their voice and then they also want to know that you have a life and that you're interesting and you're not just a one trick pony and now this is a new idea and do you have ideas for the characters i personally and uh, maybe our, our pros and TV can jump on Facebook and tell me if they disagree, but I personally would not volunteer what to do with the characters in the second episode or the sec second series unless you're asked, right? Because yes, I agree. Little, I, I just want to clarify that in terms of this one. 
If you're coming in from an assistant background and or less privileged background, you can make less money as a writer than as an assistant. It will take several more credits to get to a steady place of income. So breaking in and staying in favors the ambitious, meaning don't think, oh, I sold my first thing. Now the money is coming rolling in. No, as a matter of fact, you can make less money than you made being the assistant to the showrunner. You're going to need to keep specking, keep doing things to keep your writing career going and to keep the money coming in that you're going to need probably more than just one. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I do think TV money at, at, at most levels is going to be less than you think until, you know, you hit the big time, right. Until you get the, the pot of gold, so to speak, but that's good to know. I think it just means hustle. Just know that when you suddenly get to be a writer, doesn't mean you're making tons of money. You still got to hustle. Uh, when you have a meeting at a new company, research parking beforehand and give yourself plenty of time to arrive on time. I usually arrive at meetings too early, so I have to sit in my car for a while so I don't look too anxious. Um, I also have a list of the best bathrooms in in studios <laughs> around LA because I generally have to visit the bathroom before I go to a meeting. Uh, Hulu has the best one, I have to say, because their bathrooms play really loud rock and roll music and their bathroom stall doors close like closets. So no one's going to hear anything you're doing in there. <laughs> Just saying. Can I ask, Gloria, <laughs> what do you think is the perfect time to like show up for your meeting? Like five minutes, 15 minutes before, right on time? Uh, I I'm know such a bad person to ask this question because... I accidentally showed up a, a week early for a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong Tuesday was the week before. Um, I you think you know, five minutes before five, right on time. Yeah. If you're meeting other people, like maybe you're meeting producers, then they might want to meet a little bit earlier in the lobby. But you're just going to be sitting there with, with tons of other people in the lobby uh, waiting room right. to go in. Yeah. So, But you should be on time. Um, Which I struggle with. I'm always too early. That's That was my question. Because like I would have thought like 15, but that's kind of early, isn't it? They're not going to know you're there 15 minutes early because you're going right. to sign in with the receptionist who's right. just going to tell the assistant who's going to be like, okay, when my my exec's off the phone, I'll call for them. <laughs> like it's just, uh, it's just be on time. Yeah. Okay. Um, look at your peers as comrades, not competition. You might rise up at different speeds, but find your friends and the people you can trust and cheer on their successes the way you would your own. And always be kind to assistants. Be kind to everyone, but especially assistants. I per you, I cannot stress this enough. Yep. You know, shit rolls downhill. Some of those assistants, I'm not saying they don't have great jobs. Some of them do. And some of them, it's a very stressful, full-on, more hours than you can work job. And uh, always be kind to them and, and to the receptionists and uh those assistants, by the way, will be the executives who are hiring you someday. And the people who are meeting to assistants are just stupid. Even if you mm -hmm. don't care about human beings, like it's just a dumb move. Uh, because, and I would be nice to the, you know, smaller, younger executives. It's easy to think, oh my gosh, why is this person talking? I need to talk to the big hoo-ha. But chances are the foot soldier is the one who's doing most of the work and the one who maybe brought that project in and the one who cares about it and is passionate about it. And even though they're not politically allowed to talk right now, trust me, they're going to talk later. Um, so, uh, and and you never know where the best ideas are going to come from and who's going to actually be your your hero here. And what and also what this quote is saying is have your 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 writing 
comrades and people that are going to be there for you through this whole process. The next one is, I don't buy holiday gifts for my agents, but I always send the assistance gift cards. So I give my reps holiday presents and I give the assistance presents as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, and if you don't feel like you have the cash or the inkling, I would just, if you only pick one, pick the assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it just depends on how I, I want to give holiday gifts. Sometimes I just like this year got so slammed that that I think I'm going to be giving Valentine's Day gifts. <laughs> that might be too weird. No, I'll give a, I'll give St. Patrick's Day gifts. No, I don't know. It's funny because when I worked as an assistant, when you're the the talent get huge presents from their agents uh, at Christmas time because they're so afraid that a different agency will send a present and they didn't send one right. So the movie stars get big gifts generally at Christmas time. Uh, yeah, writers not so much. <laughs> so we have to give them presents. Yeah, we have to give them presents. Let's just get real. This is real life, people. That's all yeah. we do is give them presents, rewrites, right. oh, so That's we send right. a script. <laughs> And now they want more. <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't, I don't know that they. I'm always happy to give them. the assistants and my reps, honestly, presents because every, all the calls are usually so like business, you know, like got this, yeah. it's like a moment to be it's human fun. and connect and. We bake. I don't know. You guys get our bread. I don't. It's yummy. It's delicious. That can be a nice way. If you're early in your career and you're feeling like you can't shell out a ton, devote a weekend just to making some bread. And usually people like it. it I don't know if that reads as green or can read a little no, rooted, not at all. But people not seem to really all. like not it. So. As long as it tastes okay. good and your bread is delicious. Yeah. As long as it tastes good. Don't drug yeah. people and don't send <laughs> yeah. them gross food. That's great. Great advice. <laughs> all right, next one. The second hardest job you will ever get will be your first. The hardest job you'll ever get will be your second. Be mentally, emotionally, and financially prepared. Yeah. I kind of feel like the hardest job will always be the next one. I think they're all hard myself. The one <laughs> you're on. Yeah. They're all hard and they're all wonderful. Um, yes. Okay, I'll take the next one. You're supposed to take general meetings, know what they are and what their purpose is. Yeah, I I, I think general meetings are mostly to get to know you. I've never gotten an actual job, meaning directly out of a general meeting, but then it's more to me about planting seeds and people knowing you. So if later down the line they, they get a piece of IP or – they will think of you, but I also really think those are for you to do your work as a writer, i.e. you go find a piece of IP, you had the general, you got the feedback, they liked you. I understand they're sending you stuff, but really, really the momentum will come when you send them stuff, I think. Like there are just more contacts for you to create your job. Yep, and uh, generals are not interviews. Uh, when I first got to LA, I made that mistake. I've talked about this on the show before. I thought it was, you know, I'm interviewing with this person. It's not that at all. Uh, and uh, I'm embarrassed to think about some of my meetings early on. But, you know, I didn't know because you're supposed to know what a general is. But I, a general is rep- you're getting together to chat. They're going to tell you what they do, what they make, what they're looking for, some projects they have. You're going to talk about the projects you're working on. They will always ask you what you're watching, what movies you loved, what I, what books are you reading, what are your favorite authors, all of that stuff. You got to be ready with all of that uh, because of how they get to know you. You can do what's called a soft pitch, which is, oh, I'm really excited about this. You know, what are you working on? They might ask. And you say, I'm working on this TV pitch. And it's sort of about, you know, a big family and they're all doctors. And 
you know, you sort of softly pitch the operational theme, you know, a character, and they might be interested and said, they might say, oh, I'd love to see that when you get a little further. You'll get many notes from execs and producers on a given job, many contradictory. Rather than taking them all as though you are the typist, your job is to choose. They want you to decide which notes are going to work and how they will be taken. They don't want you, the screenwriter, to be a passive typist. I think that's really important. Really a thousand good percent. Yep. A thousand percent. I was a producer, got a script in from a writer and sent it to the executive. And he called me up and he goes, wait a minute. He just did what I said was my idea, but then give me the money. Give me the $600,000. Like it's supposed to be better. Why isn't this better? So I, you are absolutely supposed to take all the problems. Their solutions are just there to illuminate the problem unless they're not. And that you only get from experience of really starting to zone in about this is a very powerful person. The producer has repeated this five times and is emphasizing it this might be a try this which by the way you try it and it doesn't work you can say i tried it here's why it didn't work but here's how i can answer the note right so sometimes there are very powerful people in the room the head of a studio a giant actor a giant director you do need to take their notes and uh, sometimes they actually are asking you to do something directly your producer can help you with that too but no in general please you're not a typist that's not what those those uh, meetings are about. Date your drafts or at least figure out a way for you to keep track of them. It is easy to know which one is the last at the time you write it, but not so fun years later when you are trying to remember which draft you want to send out to new interested folks. Oh yeah, I'm so bad at this. Yes, people, please. I you know I literally to the, have now gotten to the point that I'll write the date and the title and then I'll write current. And then, but then that, that doesn't work because then you have the next current. So it's, it's for, this is a real thing. Really be, be very, get your system down of how you're recording your drafts. Because of my experience being a script supervisor for uh, three and a half years on a movie, I am very good at this. You might all be surprised to learn because it is a, a high organizational level skill, but I am very fastidious about naming drafts. Uh, because I will often go back. Uh, so, are you dating? Is that like a date and timestamp, Lorian? What's the your name of the project? Um, and if there, if I only wrote that one script that day, I'll leave it like that. But usually, I'll add a note to it, like with the garage out, or with the adult ages mm. out, or you know, I'll put some kind of note in there, or you know, graveyards, you know, where I. I'm dumping cut scenes from another version, um, which is why I, I also, have thousands it, of files. Yeah. And I also yeah. like, let's yeah. say I'll date it, the name of the project, and then I'll say to director, meaning this is the pass I sent to the director, to the yeah. studio. Yes. That means okay, that is the official draft. The day that they call up and say, you have to do an arbitration. This is the draft that went to the studio. It says it in the name. I can, I don't have to, cause I'm not gonna remember a date. Um, so I literally put it right in the in the title. But I I'll I'll I have a new draft yeah. almost every day because sometimes I'll be like, shit, I cut that. I shouldn't have cut that. And I can just go back in time and find it. And yeah. uh, so. God, mine are always like final, but actually final, real final. Oh, no, <laughs> like I this, never do final. Just... I learned that from Meg. Uh, like, all right. To, like if I send it to Meg to read, I'll be like to Meg, you know, for character notes. Yeah. I'm very specific because then. 
it it really helps. Um, and then I still lose things. So I'm very organized, except for eh. Mm. Um, all right. All right. Last <laughs> uh, one. Yep. Here we go. Revel in your uniqueness. If you don't think you're the only writer for an assignment or for your own original, then why would someone else hire you? Yep. That's good advice. You gotta believe in it. Yep. And this is coming yep. from a pro writer. It's not coming from, um, you know, a, another emerging writer, a teacher. These are people out in the field, doing the work, getting paid. And this is the stuff that works for them. And they're saying to you, it works to to be unique. And and I think right now, especially, they really, really want this. They really want uniqueness. They want unique voices. What sets you apart? Why are you the only person that could possibly write this? When I first came into the business, they were looking for more cookie cutter, big idea, high concept sales. And then they'd go and find a writer, anybody else to write it. They'd pay you the million dollars and then kick you off and find out who they wanted to write it because they were buying kind of product. But right now, I really think they are looking more for voice and specificity, like you were talking about, Lorian, and why you are the only human who can write this story. And in your pitch, they want to hear that right up front. Yeah, right? I got feedback recently. I did a practice pitch to a very experienced producer. And she's like, what I love about this pitch the most is your voice. And I need more of it up front. Who are you? What do you like to write about? Why are you wanting to write this project? All those things right up front. And it was like, oh, wow, I have to really make this about myself, which made me feel a little squidgy. So I have to figure out how that's what I'm working on this afternoon is how to put more of me into this pitch. I actually uh, think you'll be quite good at it, Lorian, because I, I, I won't be surprised if I don't struggle much with this because, <laughs> you know, I love to hear the sound of my own voice. Blah, blah, blah. Because blah, you're blah. awesome and it'd be easy. I'm going to revel in my own uniqueness. How's that? That's right. So I, I want to thank. Yeah, I want to thank all the writers who contributed. Um, it was really fun to read these and then all the conversations that came out of them. Uh, so thank you all if you heard your um, if you heard yours read. And if you didn't, it's probably because we're going to read it later. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to our listeners, if you like this and want more um, quick thoughts from pro writers, let us know in the Facebook group so we can do another show if it uh, was helpful. So thanks so much to everyone listening. Welcome, Jason. Uh, and if you haven't joined, we'd highly recommend joining our TSL Facebook group. It's a great place to meet other writers and find additional support and camaraderie outside of the show. We also have some amazing Patreon workshops coming up, including a mock writer's room with friend of the show, Sean Prezant. If you've ever wanted to experience the day-to-day -day mechanics of a TV writer's room, join today. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it, and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.